Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Obviously milder. Boris Johnson defense plans to keep England open despite record Omicron cases. Hong Kong crackdown. A pro-democracy media outlet is shut down. A pop star among those arrested. And remembering Desmond Tutu. Memorial service set to pay tribute to the late archbishop. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. A warm welcome to a special 30-minute edition of First Move. Let's begin with a check of the global markets. U.S. stocks are on target for a flat start to the trading session. The S&P remains close to records after pulling back a bit in the previous session, driven by weakness in tech. Europe is trading mixed. U.K. stocks are up and running for the first time this week and hitting highs not seen since the beginning of the pandemic. In Asia, Chinese shares fell almost 1 percent amid concern over the economic effects of COVID lockdowns. The Hang Seng fell for the first time in five sessions. Global investors weighing a number of year-end challenges, including rising Omicron caseloads, which will surely impact economic growth. Omicron is once again our main driver today. The Omicron-driven surge is continuing to cause record COVID infections in parts of Europe. France, Italy, Greece, Portugal and the UK all seeing infections rise to new highs. The countries shown in red on this map may uh, on this map have seen cases rise by more than 50 percent compared with last week. Let's go to Melissa Bell. She is in Paris for us. Melissa, you know, it is stunning to see the rise in the number of infections. But what about the rise in hospitalizations? Are you what are you hearing about that? Well, for the time being, it does appear that when it comes to Omicron, uh, fewer people are ending up in hospital, fewer people are ending up in ICU. And yet the World Health Organization has been warning that as a result of the sheer rise in the number of caseloads, there is going to be tremendous strain on European healthcare systems. So that once again, uh, that is the problem that governments are facing, hence the restrictions that are being introduced. But just a word on those rising uh, record numbers. You mentioned uh, France there a moment ago. We've just heard from France's health minister, the record that was set uh, yesterday, uh, 179,000, now broken once again, more than 208,000 new cases in a 24-hour period. It's a record. Uh, It was another record of the weekend, just 100,000 on Saturday. That tells you how quickly uh, these numbers are rising, shattering records day after day. Now, of course, that is going to lead to extra pressure on healthcare systems, another part of uh, the uh, world where the uh, number of caseloads has been rising, staggeringly seeing record rises since the pandemic began, is in the UK. Have a listen to what Boris Johnson had to say. The Omicron variant continues to cause uh, real problems. You're seeing cases rising in in hospitals, but uh, it is... uh, obviously milder than the uh, the Delta variant, and uh, we're able to proceed in the way that we are. But that's one reason, and one reason only, why we're able to do that. And that's because such a huge proportion of the British public have come forward to get vaccinated, and, and particularly to get boosted. 
Now, of course, that will make a difference as well as populations get more vaccinations uh, done here in France. On Monday, as a result of these extraordinary rises, Alison, they announced that they were shortening the length of time between the second dose and the booster to try and get as many people boosted as they could to face this latest wave. But take the example of France. I mentioned that massive rise, that new record set once again uh, here today. The French health minister, who's just been speaking in the National Assembly, made the point that here the Delta variant hasn't finished causing uh, the ravages that it's causing. Here it remains uh, the majority uh, virus that we're seeing in new caseloads, and it is continuing to send people to hospital. Not in the same proportion as we'd seen in previous waves, but still, healthcare systems across Europe likely to come under greater strain. And again, that according to the World Health Organization, Alison. Melissa, what's the sentiment you're hearing in the UK, you know, not having these restrictions put in place as the case numbers rise? Well, they really are uh, favoring uh, the idea of increased vaccinations. And we've seen that surge in the United Kingdom and in England England in particular these last couple of weeks with the government putting out uh, those figures, uh, congratulating people on going out to get themselves uh, vaccinated, congratulating them on taking the step of getting boosted if they'd been vaccinated in the past. But elsewhere in Europe, really what you're seeing are added restrictions as well, Uh, not just in terms of travel from one European country to another, for instance, Austria restricting uh, those who can come in or the terms under which they can come in uh, to the country to try and limit that Omicron spread. Uh, But other uh, steps that have been taken, for instance, here in France, we saw the announcement on Monday, uh, the the sizes of gatherings once again being restricted, uh, people being encouraged once again to work from home. And it does feel like the more time passes, uh, the the fewer freedoms we find ourselves having in Europe once again uh, as we face these huge surging numbers. And again, uh, this strain on healthcare systems that nearly two years into this pandemic are frankly in no fit state to bear them. Alison. Okay, Melissa Bell, live for us in Paris. Thanks very much. Officials in China say COVID outbreaks uh, in the city of Xi'an accounts for almost all locally transmitted cases in the country. 152 infections were reported Wednesday, with only one found outside Xi'an. The city of 13 million has been under a strict lockdown for six days. Stephen Jiang reports. The situation in Xi'an is starting to feel like a deja vu of what we saw in Wuhan some two years ago, with a growing amount of frustration or even anger being vented online by people in Xi'an who say they now have difficulties accessing to food items. That is in sharp contrast to officials and state media portrayal of orderly deliveries of daily necessity items by the government to households throughout the city. Now, things have been made worse by tightened regulations because last week, each household was still allowed to send out one representative every other day to do grocery shopping. That quote-unquote privilege has been suspended starting this week as the government there tries to uh, further restrict the movement of people to uh, curb the community spread of the virus because of the Beijing leadership's insistence on its uh, zero COVID policy, especially ahead of the uh, Beijing Winter Olympics. That's also why authorities in Xi'an are doubling down on their strategy of mass testing, mass quarantine, and now hard lockdown measures. Now, the numbers recorded in the city still pretty grim by Chinese standard. 151 new local cases recorded on Tuesday. But the government there says this is only to be expected as they keep testing the entire population of 13 million residents. They just started uh, a sixth round of citywide testing on Wednesday. But they say with a, a strict lockdown firmly in place, these numbers will stabilize soon and start decreasing with the whole outbreak 
outbreak may be ending in a month or so. But that is cold comfort for millions of residents trying to survive now under increasingly harsh conditions. Stephen Zhang, CNN, Beijing. In the U.S., at-home antigen tests may be less effective at detecting Omicron than other COVID variants. That's according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It says studies based on patient samples are needed. Its preliminary findings are based on lab analyses. Abbott, which makes a popular at-home test, says it has seen no change in performance. Elizabeth Cohen joins me now. Great to see you, Elizabeth. You know, it's already incredibly difficult just to get your hands on a test to get tested for COVID. Now we're hearing the rapid test may not be as accurate as we'd like. So should we just skip the rapid test altogether and go for the the PCR test that takes a little longer for those results to get back? Mm -hmm. You know, it really depends on what circumstances you're in, how quickly you need this information, why you're getting tested, and also what's available to you, because different people have different things available to them. The bottom line here is, and and Tony Fauci is going to tell us this in a minute when we listen to him, is that are these perfect? Absolutely not. Are they still useful? Yes. Let's take a listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci. What the FDA is saying today is that when you look at Omicron, and its ability to detect Omicron, some of the tests have a diminution further of the sensitivity, but they still say the tests are useful and should be used. All right. So we reached out to Abbott Labs. They make the uh, rapid test that's uh, the antigen test that's used very widely in the United States. This is what they had to say. They say we've conducted lab analyses and tests on the Omicron variant from live virus, including from the first U.S. Omicron case. And Binax now detected the virus in all tests we performed at equal sensitivity as other variants. And so that makes you wonder. All right. So with other variants in general, how reliable is this test? So here's what the CDC has to say. But first, let me say this. If the test says that you have COVID, then you almost certainly have COVID. It's excellent in that regard. If it says you have COVID, then almost for sure you have COVID. If it says that you don't have COVID, that's where it gets mushy. So this is what the (laughs) CDC says. If you have COVID-19, let's say we know that you have COVID-19 and you have symptoms, the test is going to be wrong about 35% of the time. 35% of the time it's going to tell you you don't have COVID when you actually do. If you have COVID-19 and you're asymptomatic, you feel totally fine, that test is going to be wrong about 64% of the time. About 64% of the time, it's going to give you a false negative. It's going to tell you you're negative, even though you're positive. Now, there's lots of nuances here, as you can imagine, Allison, um, lots to sort of explore and expand on here. But the bottom line is, if you take this test and it tells you you have COVID, you almost certainly have COVID. If it tells you that you don't have COVID, and you're going to, let's say, visit someone who's immune compromised, you might want to wait and retake it because it is not all those negative results are not always reliable. Allison? Yeah, I'm hearing second tests may be uh, the way to go at this point. (laughs) Elizabeth Cohen, thanks so much for your expertise. In Hong Kong, a worrying development for press freedom. At least seven people associated with pro-democracy media outlet Stand News have been arrested after national security police raided its office. The pop star Denise Ho was among the people arrested. Ivan Watson is in Hong Kong for us. So, Ivan, this is yet another media outlet in Hong Kong being targeted by authorities. What's behind it? 
Yeah, it's one of the last remaining independent media outlets, and it's now been silenced because hours after the raids and the arrests, Stan News says it is shutting down, mirroring the pattern that we saw earlier this year with the biggest circulation tabloid newspaper in the city, Apple Daily, which got raided, its assets seized, its publisher and editors put in jail, uh, and then it shut down. Uh, Among the people who were detained today, as you mentioned, was Denise Ho, this uh, pop singer who has been a a proud supporter of the uh, pro-democracy protests of 2014 and of 2019. The uh, Hong Kong Journalists Association, whose leader is basically uh, also an editor at Stan News, he was briefly detained and then released, putting out a statement saying, uh, I'm free for now, uh, and thanks for the support. Uh, But the Hong Kong Journalists Association uh, put out this statement expressing concern that, quote, the police have repeatedly arrested senior members of the media and searched the offices of news organizations containing large quantities of journalistic materials within a year, and it urges the government to protect press freedom. Now, the number two official here in Hong Kong had some pretty harsh words for the suspects who've been detained, and and they have not been through court yet. He called them evil. Take a listen. Anybody who attempts to make use of media work as a tool to pursue their political purpose or other interests contravenes the law, particularly offenses that endanger national security. They are the evil elements that damage press freedom. Now, what's the broader context here? Well, there used to be a lot of press freedoms and political freedoms in this city. Uh, But since the 2019 protests against the government that turned into often violent riots, there's been a significant crackdown. In the last year and a half, uh, dozens of opposition politicians are in jail or have fled into exile. The street protests, the peaceful ones that used to be part of the city's culture, they've been all but banned. Uh, Just in the last week, three statues that used to stand on university campuses here uh, that commemorated the Tiananmen Square massacre of 1989, they were all removed, including one at Hong Kong University that stood for for more than 20 years under cover of darkness. And then we have uh, the raids today in the kind of uh, sleepy days between the Christmas and New Year holidays. It all adds up to a city being far less free than it used to be. just before Christmas, the Chinese leader Xi Jinping met with uh, the Hong Kong chief executive, Carrie Lam, and he congratulated her on, as he put it, bringing order back to this city. Back to you. That is certainly a disturbing trend we are seeing there. Um, Ivan Watson, thanks so much. Coming up after the break, honoring a national icon, a memorial service for Archbishop Desmond Tutu will begin in the next two hours as we get new details about his funeral this weekend. And more stories we're following today. U.S. and Russian officials are set to hold security talks on January 10th 
Tensions between Washington and Moscow have been rising after Russia moved thousands of troops to its border with Ukraine. The Kremlin says 10,000 have now returned to their permanent bases. In Bolivia, dozens left stranded by massive flooding. Uh, They've been airlifted to safety. Heavy downpours across the country have left at least 13 people dead in the past month. A defense official described the situation as critical, with rivers in many areas spilling over their banks. All right, in a couple of hours from now, a memorial service will be held for South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The much-loved anti-apartheid activist died over the weekend at the age of 90. He will lie in state until his funeral on New Year's Day to allow as many people as possible to pay their respects. Let's bring in CNN's Larry Madowo. He will be covering the funeral, the funeral for CNN. And Larry, I, I noticed that two of Desmond Tutu's foundations, they actually released a statement saying his wish was for a simple funeral. That's right, Allison. They say he had very specific instructions about his funeral. He did not want any lavish or ostentatious spending. At his funeral, he asked that only a bouquet of carnations from his family be the only flowers at his funeral and that if anybody else wanted to to give flowers, they should donate to the Tutu Legacy Foundation instead. He will be cremated in a private ceremony and then his ashes will be interred at St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town. That is where he preached for decades. And during the apartheid years, when it was in the struggle against apartheid, it used to be known as the People's Cathedral. And that is where his body will also lie in state on Thursday and Friday to allow as many people as possible to pay their respects. There are also memorials being held all around South Africa, in Pretoria, in Johannesburg, in other parts of the country to allow people to pay their respect in local parishes and communities instead of traveling to Cape Town because the actual funeral service on New Year's Day will only have 100 people, so close friends, family and the clergy in line with current regulations by the South African government around COVID-19. Okay, Larry Madowo, thanks very much. And we'll have more First Move after the break. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stocks now on track for a modestly higher open this Wednesday. Just three more trading sessions left in 2021. And all the major averages are holding on to strong gains for the year, with the broader market S&P 500 firmly in the lead. As you can see there, powerful fiscal and monetary support has helped stocks advance throughout the year. A strengthening U.S. economy has helped the bullish case as well. 2022 could be a different story, though, as the Fed sets the stage for rate hikes to tame inflation. One major wild card remains the economic effects of the Omicron variant. Joining us with his thoughts on what's ahead in the new year, John Petrides, the portfolio manager at Tocqueville Asset Management. John, great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you on. So let's start with this. What the heck is behind the stock surge? Uh, There's a lot going on right now, uh, especially with the Omicron variant. The question is, can this, can this hold, can the momentum hold into 2022? The reality is the Omicron threat is disrupting the economy, you know, from travel to restaurants. Well, I think when you look back uh, at 2021, it really was the first nine months of the year were all about the recovery rally, that the vaccine was being uh, administered and distributed, and that we had a reopening trade within the United States uh, and, and globally. And that company uh, corporate earning fundamentals were quite strong. I mean, I think 
on average, the companies in the S&P 500, uh, 80% of them beat uh, Wall Street analyst expectations every quarter uh, this year. And that, that's amazing given the environment that we're in. And I think that all lasted up until about the end of September. And then we've had a really uh, a strong patch of choppiness in terms of volatility where we've had uh, big rallies followed by big sell-offs. And I think that's going to be the trend going into 2022 as we're dealing with uh, the Fed taking the punch ball away from uh, a monetary policy standpoint, inflation rising, uh, which is going to most likely impact company profit margins. And then, of course, you have the uncertainty of within the U.S., uh, the midterm elections in November at the end of the year. So uh, I would expect more volatility in 2022 for at least domestic stocks. OK, so with a potentially volatile 2022, tell us where investors can hide out. Where is the best safe haven? Yeah, well, well, the irony is that despite, I think, what will be potential vol- volatility in the uh, U.S. stock market, the bond market really looks treacherous to be because you have the Fed already saying that they're going to raise rates three times in 2022. And yet the U.S. 10-year uh, Treasury, if you look at long-dated bonds, are really not moving at all. The U.S. 10-year is about 1.45, 1.5%. And if you have right now, we have a 5 6% uh, annualized rate of inflation that basically guarantees every bond that you buy, you're locking in a negative rate of return. So uh, I think, and, and also to couple that, you have about four and a half trillion dollars of cash sitting on the sidelines in money market funds. So I do think that uh, domestic stocks will still outperform, uh, particularly bonds and cash, uh, but it's more of a buy the dip mentality for stocks. Now, specifically, I think income oriented and yield plays are the great are a great place to be uh, because investors cannot get any income in the fixed income market. So despite having a historic year in the REIT market, I think still still think uh, real estate investment trusts are a great place to be uh, for 22. OK, quickly, what is your view on, you know, how long inflation is going to stick around? Yeah, well, we, my team specifically at Tocqueville thinks that inflation will moderate around 3% uh, over time. We just have to get through a lot of the supply chain issues. Uh, if the Chinese economy does continue to slow, that should take um, uh, some of the momentum out of the energy market, maybe out of the commodity market. So, um, you know, we think that we have to get through the supply chain lockup, which is which is forcing companies to raise prices faster and get through some of these transitional uh, issues mm-hmm. on the commodity side. So by the end of the year, we should still see we should see inflation come off, but it's going to be higher than the Fed's initial mm-hmm. target of two to two and a half percent. That's for sure. Okay, quickly, what are the wild cards you see for 2022? So uh, a wild card for 22, I think, is going to be how, from a macro standpoint, how is the Fed going to react around the midterm election? So the Fed has always tried to stay independent uh, during going into a, an election year. And the Fed is going to raise interest rates three times. When are they going to do it? Is it going to be in March when they're going to finish the taper program? June. Okay, fine. But if you do it in a September meeting, that's right on the eve of the election. And that leaves December. So I think the outcome of uh, the the election and how the Fed navigates around that uh, is, is going to be telling for investors, at least from a macro standpoint. The theme, buckle up, let's get ready for 2022. Thank you, John Petridis, for your great analysis. You are the portfolio manager at Tocqueville Asset Management. And finally, on first move, Egyptian scientists are peeling back another layer of history with new information on Pharaoh Amenhotep I. 
using non-invasive digital scanning. They've been able to get a glimpse beneath the bandages of the 3,500-year-old mummy, so fragile that experts have been keen to avoid unwrapping it. They found no injuries pointing to how the pharaoh died, but hieroglyphics suggest the mummy may have been repaired in ancient times by priests and embalmers after it was damaged by tomb raiders. That's, that's water cooler talk right there. That's it for the show. I'm Allison Kosick. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Kosick. Generation Next is next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.